You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we will spend the next hour talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always contact the show. You can call us at 844-999-9249, or you can always email us at Let's Talk Torah at gmail.com. That's Let's Talk Torah at gmail.com. This week, uh, for the first time in a while, I am completely on my own. And that gives me an opportunity to talk about a lot of stuff, get into a lot of stuff. Some weeks we don't have enough time. This week, some of the topics I want to talk about, I'm really hoping that we have not all the time we need, but certainly a good chunk of time to talk about some really, really important stuff. Um, we got to talk about the high holidays are upon us, Rosh Hashanah's around the corner, um, first fruits, and some other exciting things in this week's Torah portion, <clears throat> and an amazing charity campaign that I'm involved in, and that I want to spend a lot of time talking, how we can get involved, why we should be involved, how it works, and... Uh, Hopefully, we will be fantastically successful. So let's, uh, let's talk. Let me give you a little lead into some charity stuff. Lots of good stuff, even in this week's Torah portion about charity. So the Jewish calendar, we've talked about the Jewish calendar, but not only is there a monthly Jewish calendar, there's also a calendar that goes on a seven-year cycle. We've talked about the sabbatical year and the jubilee year, Shemitah and Yovel. So uh, that's a seven years is the Shemitah, or sabbatical cycle, and then there's seven times seven, it leads up to a jubilee, and then it starts again. Besides the fact that every seven years there is the Shemitah, or the sabbatical year where we leave the fields fallow, um, there's actually something even in the first six years that is also affected in this cycle. And that is that the, the Torah demands that the farmer give charity. And it's a tax. It's charity, but it's tax. He has to give the priest. He'll give the priest 2% of whatever grows. He will give the Levites uh, 10% of whatever grows. Now, those will be usually the rabbis, and, and they're running the temple, and they don't have their own fields, and they, they have cities to live in, but they really have no income because they're instead of being farmers, they're irresponsible to take care of the temple and go around and uh, help people in any religious needs that they have. They're the ones that have time to study, so the likelihood is they would be rabbis. You could have rabbis from other people who have farms. Of course you could, but uh, certainly it would be easier, and uh, you would find many more studious people amongst the Levites and the priests. So um, that's the first part. And then, interesting enough, there's another 10%. So we're almost up to 21% approximately. Um, again, it's coming off the top of the field. It's gross. It's not net. And um, in years one, two, four, and five, 10% actually is brought up to Jerusalem, and you eat it with family, friends, share it with whoever you want. 
in year three and six, you actually have to give 10% to the poor people in the cycle. So years one, two, four, and five, the 10% goes to Jerusalem. In years three and six, the, the, the um, 10% goes to the poor. There happens to be other taxes involved. I wouldn't call them taxes, but for example, um, when they would harvest the field, I think we've talked about this in the past, if one or two stalks would fall every time you cut down some of the stalks, uh, the poor people can pick it up. If you forget to collect a whole uh, bundle, again, the poor people can pick it up. You have to leave a corner of the field for the poor people. You don't even touch that. That's a different field charity, which is not what I'm looking to get into right now, just it's a, an aside. Now, what's interesting is at the beginning of the fourth year and the beginning of the seventh year, there's actually um, a statement that has to be made by each farmer. The Torah calls it vidui meiser. Vidui happens to be the same word we use when we when we say on uh, Yom Kippur that we sinned, we did this thing wrong and that thing wrong, and we're guilty and we rebelled, all that stuff. That happens to also be called vidui. Vidu is just, uh, is just uh, vocalizing um, all the things you've done wrong, but in this case, it's a little bit different. This Vidu Imaisa, which is said at the end of the th- third year, really into the fourth year, it said, and the end of the sixth year, really into the seventh year, uh, the farmer has to get up and say, I gave all my tithe, is what's called truma to the priest to the Kayin, and the Maiser, the 10% to the Levi, and the, the second Maiser called Maiser Shani went up to Jerusalem, or it's called Maiser Ani in the third and sixth year, and that goes to the poor people. So the, the farmer actually has to make a very clear statement that he gave all those ties, all those 10%, all that Maiser properly, and therefore he continues in the statement, so God, I did what you asked me to do, so now, God, you should do what you said you're going to do. And then he included in the statement, he says, he uses a very interesting word. He uses the word hashkifa. Hashkifa means to look or to gaze. So we're telling God, gaze down, look at what I've done, and therefore send me your blessing. That is what we call vidui maisa. That is this statement the farmer will make that I did mine, and now, God, you got to do what you said you're going to do. Great. What's interesting is this word hashkifa, which means to look down, is a very unusual word. It only comes up in the Torah a handful of times. The problem is most of the times it comes up in the Torah, it's, it's in reference to destruction. It says God looked down on Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Amorah, when he turned over those cities because of their morality and they weren't charitable. So it says God looked down on those cities and he turned them over. Um, I believe it's also used by the Tower of, of Babel. I don't remember for sure. Again, it's a few places in the Torah, but every time it's used in the Torah, it's used in a destructive manner. As God is looking, and that's not a good thing. He's like, he's focusing on this town or this area that did a certain sin, and therefore they're going to be punished. The exception is right here. When we're dealing with charity... So there, the, the power of charity changes that word of God gazing to be destructive, to God gazing to be, to be full of blessing, to give us whatever we need, to help us with whatever we need to be helped with. So it's amazing the power of charity can change this word from destruction to being a word full of blessing. Amazing. Which, of course, will lead me into my charity talk. So... All right, I'll tell you the charity program first, then I'll, then I'll talk a little more charity because I got some great stories for you. 
So I'm involved in a school. I've told you this many times. I'm involved in Yeshiva Stachy Torah right here in Detroit, Michigan, an amazing school, close to 500 children. We're growing by leaps and bounds. We're, we're bursting at our seams. Um, nowadays, a, an Orthodox day school, I can't say every private school, but certainly an Orthodox day school, um, not only takes care of your run-of-the-mill average student, but you really have to take care of all the special needs students also. They're going to be in class. They're, you're going to have to take them out of class. You have to have remedial for them. You have to have special, if they have special needs, you have to have shadows for them. Anything that these children need to function, first of all, in a classroom or out of the classroom or become good citizens in a community, we have to really come up with. We have to take care of these children. It is the only way, um, for the most part nowadays, to run such a school. Um, not too much government help, certainly not in the state of Michigan, but um, we, for the most part, we rely on, on our parents' tuition, and we rely on donations. That is how the school is able to, to actually be so successful with so many children and so many students and help these children reach their potential. And the student that's not going to be that brilliant scholar, um, we take that student and we find his talents or her talents. We let those children shine. And we and we build them up, and we look to make good citizens. We look to make leaders, future Jewish leaders, and we also make to look good, outstanding citizens. And we are, thank God, amazingly successful. The difficulty is that we actually give over 90% of our parent body tuition assistance. You know, it's uh, it, things cost money. There's nothing to talk about. To ask a parent for $10,000 in tuition, becomes almost impossible. You have a larger family, even a smaller family. And again, the economy is great. People have jobs. People are working. We're happy. Everything is good. But at the same time, it's hard. You, you try to throw twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 or more onto a, a middle-class person, they will drown. So they can't do it. So we gladly, with pleasure, we help all these parents and we raise tremendous funds so that we can educate their children. It is our pleasure, it is our honor, it's the most amazing thing that a person could ever do. I'm a teacher. There's nothing better than being a teacher. It's wonderful. But we have to help. So most organizations have, uh, you have fundraisers, you have raffles, and you have a dinner, and you have a journal book, and you, we go around and solicit all good things. We give people opportunities, how they can help these children. It's, it's amazing. But we're actually trying a new kind of fundraiser this year, and we're actually looking to raise over $300,000 in a day, in not even a day and a half, in 30 hours. It is an amazing uh, program that's uh, it's with the times. It's, uh, it works with social media, works with email, works with texting, works with phone calls. And that is, um, we do the legwork. Obviously, the administration can do the legwork, and we're going to find those matchers um, to, to get our first side of the of the money and we'll do a one to two match and every dollar becomes two dollars perhaps every dollar becomes three dollars um, we're actually in the middle of deciding how much we think we can raise the day of to decide if it's one to one one to two one to three it'll probably be one to three which means every dollar we raise on that day is tripled it's fantastic and what happens is our parents who are who are great ambassadors will either from home or come down to our call centers, they're gonna sit there with their email lists and their texting lists and their phone call lists, they'll call their friends and family, and that will send everybody to a donor page. And on the donor page, um, either they give to their team or just give to the school in general, 
And every dollar, $5, $10, $18, $36, $50, a couple hundred, a couple two hundred, a couple five hundred, all of a sudden, before you blink, which you have 30 hours to blink, um, and before you blink, that day alone will probably raise between $125,000 and $150,000 in 30 hours. It is amazing. And I, of course, will give my amazing listening audience that same opportunity. You're going to go on my webpage. You're going to hit my Donate Now button. Um, normally, my Donate Now button just takes you to the um, to just my regular donation page for Yeshiva's Dachit Torah. But today, it's actually going to take you to the special campaign page. And it's actually up for a few days. So even though the campaign is next week, Tuesday, Wednesday, but if you're listening... Uh, Friday, Shabbos, Sunday, Monday, any day you're listening before and during the campaign, just go to that button, click it in. You just give a standard donation. You can even write. Uh, you can even write a little message. You want to write uh, Rabbi Tzvi Rocks? Go right ahead. Whatever makes you happy. You want to write Let's Talk Torah? You got to listen. Write whatever you want. But those five dollars, ten dollars, eighteen dollars, thirty-six, whatever you can afford, every little bit gets doubled and tripled. And by the end of Next week, Wednesday, um, we will have raised $300,000 so we can continue to educate and, uh, and really build up the lives of all these children. So I'm going to thank you in advance. I'm sure I'm going to thank you again next week after the event is over. And it's going to be amazing. And you want to be a part of, of this fundraising campaign. Because your little bit makes a difference because everybody watches how the thermostat or whatever they use, thermometer, shows the money keeps climbing. It, is, as it, it, it builds on itself. I see it's growing. You see it's growing. The next one sees it's growing. There's a lot of excitement. And uh, we're looking forward to really a fantastic campaign. So once we talk about charity, and last week was 9-11, I figure it's pretty timely Plus, we're in the Rosh Hashanah holiday mode, so everybody knows Rosh Hashanah time, uh, high holiday time is a great time to give charity because we say charity saves from death. And we've talked different stories in the past, we'll talk other stories, but I would like to tell you a story that happened on 9-11. I was reading somewhere, you know, it's interesting. If you're my age, 9-11, you know where you were, you know what you were doing, maybe you knew people in the building, maybe you were in the New York area and you saw the, you know, from Manhattan to Brooklyn, the sky just covered in dust. But, you know, I have some of my children, they weren't even born during 9-11. I have a daughter that just went to Israel. Was she one years old? Was she two years old? She was a little girl. So it's almost, it's, it's almost been so long ago. It's sort of way off in the distance. It's, it's starting to leave our memories. It's the next generation. It's history instead of just being a memory. Anyway, the story goes like this. So um, there was a person from Israel. He was collecting charity. And he called up to a certain man. We'll call him uh, Avram. He calls up to Avram. Avram's up in his office, I don't know what floor, 96th floor, 101st floor. He's somewhere, 86th floor. He's somewhere deep up um, in one of the World Trade Center buildings. And he calls up and he says, you know, I'm here, and every year you help me out with charity, and I want to come and ask you for your help. Can I, you got to give me permission to come up to your office. So this Avram says, you know what? A lot of things are happening in my office. It's very busy. I, I have my checkbook here with me. I'm going to come down and meet you. Just wait downstairs outside the bank of elevators, and I'll come outside. We'll stand outside for a few minutes. We'll talk, 
and I'll give you a check and we'll move on. Again, the, the person asking for the charity says, come on, you don't have to waste your time. It's so much time coming up and down. I don't mind coming up. No, no, no. I don't want to make you schlep upstairs. It would be my honor and pleasure. I'm coming down to you. Okay, great. So he makes his way downstairs. They walk outside the building. Um, they, they talk for a few minutes. He takes out his checkbook. He writes the check. And they watch as one of the first planes goes right into the building. Right into the building. Right in that area of floors that he was on. Of course, they run. You're not going to stick around when there's a plane running into a building. But just the amazing story that, and this guy tells the story all the time now. He says he has no doubt in his mind that because he went ahead and made an effort to give charity and he went out of his way to help this person. So God said, you're doing charity. I'm going to save your life, which is, which is amazing. That is the power of charity. The power of charity is one of the things we talked about. God looks down, and God looks down and changes destruction to blessing. Now I'm telling you that you give charity, and it, it saves lives. Cha besides what the charity is for saves lives. Forget about that. But the charity actually saves the life of the person giving the charity. He doesn't even realize what that charity is doing. And that's why, you know, I'm not going to harp it on things over and over, but I'm, this is my week to harp. It's before the high holidays. Again, we have this amazing uh, matching campaign that's going, and I encourage you to please go to my webpage, hit that Donate Now button, and you're listening to Rabbi Tzvi. My music is playing. You're listening to Rabbi Tzvi on Let's Talk Torah, and we're going to be right back. Welcome back to Pop That Culture. That's a horror movie. <laughs> Bury the phone in the Bat Cemetery. It's got a cord. <laughs> I'm Ben Rose for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians and a playlist curated by me just for you. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Greg Russell Movie Show. When I have a couple cocktails, everything's funnier. <laughs> I still just love that line. Yeah. Producer, director, how did this whole thing come about for you? Hey, how are you? I'm Gerald Valley, and I want to invite you to listen, watch, share my new show, The Drop-In. It is going to cover skate, music, culture, actually all sports. I have some great guests lined up, and it's to inspire and motivate people to make the most of this life we have. Check out the inspiration, the stoke, and the life of The Drop-In with Gerald Valley. Detroit. It's the home of some of the world's most talented artists. It's where techno and Motown were born. It's a city where you can experience raw, untamed rock and roll. I'm Ben Rose, and I'm inviting you to join me weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians, info on what's going on around town, and a playlist curated by me just for you. Good, wanna tip another, but I probably shouldn't. I, I got 
And we're back. Yes, apples and honey, right on time for Rosh Hashanah. So yes, we spend a lot of time praying on Rosh Hashanah and a lot of time with the chauffeur and stuff. But we also spend time with food and sweets and blessings and all kinds of good stuff. And I can't get into all of it today. I think most of the sweet stuff we'll save for next week. But there were a couple topics on Rosh Hashanah I wanted to make sure we hit um, to get us at least into the mode to remind us what's going on, what's, what's the plan, what are we trying to accomplish. So, um, first things first, of course, uh, one of the main focuses everybody knows on Rosh Hashanah, even though we like the song Apple and Honeys, but we all know the chauffeur. Chauffeur is like a trumpet. Um, the chauffeur is, uh, plays an integral part. We all go to synagogue. We're going to hear someone get up, like myself, I blow, um, and they'll hear the sound of the chauffeur. There'll be the long sound, called it kia. There'll be the three medium-sized sounds called the shvarim, like a broken person. Um, there's the nine, it's usually more than nine, but minimum nine fast sounds like sobbing. And then again, followed by the tkiah. So we're blowing this shofar, and it's, it's interesting. There's barely a hint to it in the Torah. There's a hint, um, a few words here and there. The details, of course, are all in the Talmud. So... The purpose, the, the first overall purpose is like an alarm clock. And it was the chauffeur is certainly powerful. It's, 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 it's inspirational. It helps us think about God and think about where we are and think about what we want to be and think about what's happened in the past and where we're going. Um, but first things first, like an alarm clock. It's an alarm clock to say, wake up. Wake up and fix what needs to be fixed Improve what needs to be improved upon. Things you're doing wrong, stop doing. People that you've hurt their feelings, ask them for forgiveness. Become a better person and serve God and, and just move along with life and be better than you were before. That's, that's the goal of the whole business. Well, we'll talk about this, some other goals, but that's the first goal we want to talk about. So the, the Dubna Magid. Magid is a teller or a story. not exactly a storyteller, but they were all storytellers. In Europe... You would have these, generally rabbis, they would go from town to town. Many towns couldn't even afford a rabbi, and they would come to a town, and they would look around to see what needs to be improved upon, and they would speak, and then uh, people would give them donations, they'd move on to the next town. They were usually, sometimes a town would have its own. That had to be a very big town. They could afford to pay a person besides the actual rabbi, because a big town they'll have a rabbi, but such a person to make sure that people are behaving the way they're supposed to behave. One of the most famous of these people was a man by the name of the Dubna. Dubna was a city, Magid. And he actually um, probably lived in the later 1700s. And he was famous because his stories, he had so many simple stories, parables, that always hit the mark. One of his famous parables, um, and many of them were about the high holidays, was the following story. Now, you have to know, the way the Dubna Magid would tell stories, um, city folk were always considered more intellectual, more with the times, generally wealthier, and the farmers were generally the fools. That's just the way the stories were told. Um, I'm not sure what he did when he got to a farm and he told these stories, but I guess generally he was in cities. So the farmer was generally the fool. So one time there's a farmer and he's in the big city, 
And it's 2 o'clock in the morning, and he's cozy under his blanket, and all of a sudden he hears like thunder, he hears a boom. And then he hears another boom, and a third one, and he falls out of bed. Like, he quickly gets on his, uh, I guess, his robe, and he runs outside, and he says, hello, what's, what's all the noise for? So he says, no, that's our drum. Our drum is banging away. Banging away? Eh, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. Why, why are you banging your drum at 2 o'clock in the morning? And they said, well, come on. There's a fire in town. And whenever there's a fire in town, so the drums start beating. Right? Where if you live near a fire station, you'll hear the sirens. So here we beat drums. So the farmer says, oh, okay, thank you very much. Am I safe over here? Yeah, you're safe. He goes back to bed, wakes up the next morning and says, you know, I got to go back to my village. And I got to tell them that the city has figured out a better way than the bucket brigade to put out a fire. They have discovered that if you bang on drums, the fires will go out. So thought the villager. So he goes into a store and he gets the biggest drum he can get his hands on and he has it delivered back to his village. And when he gets back to the village, everybody says, what's this? He says, you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe it. In the big cities, they now don't use water to fight a fire. They now use drums. It's amazing. So sure enough, it's a village, and uh, I don't know, maybe a couple months later, fire breaks out, and they run to the drum, and they start banging. And the fire catches the first house, and they bang and bang and bang, and the fire catches the second house, and they're banging away. And there's a city person there, and he says to them, what are you people doing? There's a fire. Why are you banging a drum? So one of the people said, come on. Isn't this how you fight fires in the city? So he says, you fool. That's not how we fight fires. That's how we get the message out to the firemen to come fight the fire. But you can only fight a fire with water, right? Like, hello. That was his parable. And it's really an amazing parable when you think about it. Here we are on Rosh Hashanah. We're going to make noise. We're blowing the chauffeur. And, and maybe we're beating our chests with our hands to say we did things wrong. If all we do on the high holidays is make a bunch of noise, we are no better than that foolish farmer who thinks if he beats on the drum, he's going to go ahead and put out his fire. That's ridiculous. So therefore, the, the purpose of the parable is to teach people, remember when you're hearing the chauffeur, it's very inspirational, but it's just noise. You got to take that noise and do something with it. It's got to wake you up. It's, it's a call for action. That's really what it is. The chauffeur is a call for action. Do something to show God, you know, I belong to you. You are my king. I'm going to become better. That is what we're looking to do on Rosh Hashanah. So once you're about chauffeur, there's actually numerous reasons why we blow the chauffeur. Again, after this parable, at least we should think, at least just think, that the, the chauffeur is a, I love that word, call for action, because call for action reminds me, see, I'm going to have to get good at this, right? And as when we ask people to help us with donations, it seems if I don't remind you, that's what they tell me at least, if I don't keep reminding people, they won't go to my donate button. When you go to that donate button, it's going to bring you to um, this special campaign page, and there you can, any donation, any amount will be greatly appreciated. And it'll it'll help build our campaign, and uh, and we're gonna we're gonna raise that money. We're gonna raise over three hundred thousand dollars, no matter what, by hook or by crook, man. We are gonna raise that money, and my great listeners are gonna help me do that. But anyways, call to action. 
Um, a few other things that the shofar was a reminder for. Number one, it was a reminder of the Akeda, the binding of Isaac. Because when Abraham was ready to sacrifice his son, Isaac, so God says, he sends an angel, says, don't touch him. You, I only meant you should bring him up on the altar. I didn't mean you should slaughter him. And Abraham wanted to do something to show he's bringing a sacrifice. So a ram shows up, and the ram has these two big horns. And one of those horns was used for by Mount Sinai. One will be used for the Messiah. So, so again, that horn, uh, which is why we like to use a ram's horn, really, almost any horn, not from a cow, but almost any horn from an animal um, would be kosher for a chauffeur. Uh, but we prefer the ram's horn because the ram's horn reminds God that there, that Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son. And again, it's even that I have to be a little careful. God doesn't need to be reminded. Right? God forbid. God doesn't forget. God remembers everything. Otherwise, how is he judging me, right? If he doesn't remember, I'm supposed to judge me. I don't remember. Obviously, God remembers everything. Um, but what happens is we see that the, when we, what we do what's called a reminder— so the reminder means that God will act on this memory to my benefit. So therefore, part of the, one of the reasons, there's like 10 reasons, but one of the reasons for blowing the shofar is to, is to remind God, which means God will do something in my favor, and that's all I'm looking for in judgment. I need all the favors I can get. A, uh, a third thing the shofar is for is to remind us of Mount Sinai. On Mount Sinai, there was the sound of the shofar blowing. That's what it says in the Torah, that there's the sound of the shofar blowing while God is giving us the Ten Commandments. And um, again, that's that's uh, everything we have, everything we became. We're Jewish because we accepted the Torah, we keep the Torah, we listen to God. This is God's rules for the Jewish people. So by keeping those rules and regulations, by reminding God that we're your people because we accepted your Torah and reminding ourselves that we have to keep God's Torah again becomes uh, part of the focus, part of the purpose of what we're looking to accomplish on Rosh Hashanah. So we blow shofar. A fourth reason, and that's probably all I have time for, at least uh, before we get to the break, is the, the concept of a trumpet is, is used when kings were inaugurated. When they would inaugurate a king, so they would blow trumpets, uh, fanfare and trumpets, and everybody would bow down or whatever they would do, and that would that would tell people we're inaugurating the king. So, again, the one of the one of the main focuses, even though Cape Town has a lot of main focuses, but they all sort of, you know, mix together, they fit together. It's one big beautiful puzzle. But Roshana is saying the high holidays are saying I accept God as king. That was. We can't even start. We can't even start to talk about repentance and what I'm doing and, and getting better unless I first bring up the point that God is my king. If I recognize that God is my king, now the next step is, okay, what does he want me to do? Okay, here's his book of rules and regulations. He wants me to be a good person. He wants me to give charity. See, there's my, my uh, reminder of charity and my, that donate button. So he wants me to do charity. He wants me to do, do, do good deeds. He wants me to follow his rules and regulations and his laws. That's what God wants. But I can't even start there until first I go ahead and say, God is king. And on Rosh Hashanah, if you look at the prayers, almost nothing is mentioned about actual repentance on Rosh Hashanah. 
Uh, but there's a lot of mention about being uh, the goddess king. And again, here comes my music, and I'm trying to get through everything I could. You're listening to Rabbi Tzvi on Let's Talk Torah. Hold through the break. We got, uh, we still got another two segments to get through as much as we could. So hold through the break. We'll be right back. Why are we here? What makes a person truly good? For those answers, you're going to have to take a philosophy class. But if you're more interested in who would win in a fight between R2-D2 and a Dalek, watch Get It to the Geeks. I'll tell you what happened. Good day, Morty. I got the Szechuan sauce. We're at C2E2 with the legendary Chris Claremont. Greetings, my fellow geeks. My name is Jordan Trevilian, and this is Get It to the Geeks. We are here with David Yost, the original Blue Power Ranger. Nobody right. promised you when you bought the thing on PS4 that you could play it on Switch. Well, your, your excuse is garbage. I'm going to pull out my crossbow. All right, sweet chainmail armor. Let's see what you got. Welcome back to Who's Got Chutzpah. I'm your host, Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. And are you ready? Andy, what holiday is this associated with? Oh, boy. Uh, uh. Sukkot? I'm sorry, that's not the answer we were looking for. Whitney, for the win, can you tell us which holiday is this? I know. Shavuot. No, I'm sorry. I've got the answer. Ta-da! What? My show, Let's Talk Torah, where we talk Torah, holidays, faith, and all the things that help us live our life. That's Let's Talk Torah, Thursdays at 3 p.m. That's pretty good. Times we see a guy running down to first base, and it's, it turns hands, into a hobble. Get yeah. umped. I mean, that's the, <laughs> getting umped. <laughs> that, that can't be the same guy. Can't be the same guy. Because I'm all about that roach, about that roach, Hashanah. I'm all about that roach, about that roach, Hashanah. And we're back, and I'm all about that roach, Hashanah. Yes, we are. All about roach, Hashanah. So I want to get one more thing. It's a part of liturgy of, of Rosh Hashanah. It's really one of the highlights. And it's called the Nisana Tokef. And the prayers are long on Rosh Hashanah. Don't get me wrong. There's the morning service, and then we read from the Torah, and then we get the first round of shofar blowing, and then we have the second set of prayers called the Musaf, and it's quite long. And it actually has 10 verses that talk about God as king and 10 verses that talk about how God remembers and 10 verses that talk about the chauffeur. And um, over the centuries, different pieces of poetry have made their way into the high holiday prayers. They were not part of the original prayers. The original prayers should be somewhere in the... 2000, maybe 18 year, 1800 years ago, that should have been when, when most of the main prayers were set up. But again, nothing modern would have gotten in, but things from, from 800 years ago and 700 years ago when there was a lot of poetry, especially in Spain, uh, those, those different pieces of poetry called piutim have actually made their way into the prayers. One of the most famous is called the Nesane Tokef. And the story goes that there was a rabbi in a town, and the bishop 
would forever harass him and try to debate with him and try to convert him. And one time this rabbi went ahead and he, he just needed a few days, a, a break from this bishop. So he told the bishop, you know, give me a couple of days and I'll get back to you. The bishop says, great. So the rabbi goes home and, and he's, he's sick with himself. He, he cannot believe that this priest, this bishop would believe even for half a second that he could possibly think about converting. He's just sick in bed. He, he just can't even get up. Um, three days pass, and he does not go back to the bishop. And uh, the bishop waits and waits and sends a group of soldiers to bring the rabbi. They bring him in his bed because he's sick in bed. So the rabbi tells the bishop, you know, I apologize. I, I led you to believe that even for a half a second you could have thought that I was converting, and that was foolish of me to talk that way. It's completely not true. You should cut out my tongue because I was dishonest with you. So the bishop says, no, your tongue was good. Your tongue you could keep. But your feet, they didn't bring you back when you said you were coming back. Those have to be punished. Um, and your hands that didn't help you get here faster also have to be punished. He cuts, he has his hands. I mean, in those days, they were quite uh, bloodthirsty and quite brutal, especially with their punishments. So he has his hands and feet cut off. So now he's bleeding, and maybe they treated it, but he's not living for, for long. So they send him back home. It happens to be it's Rosh Hashanah. So he's the rabbi, but he's sick in bed. He's dying. So they he asked to be brought to the synagogue, and it happens to be during what's called the Musa prayers. And he says, please bring me up to the ark and open up the ark. And he says this most powerful prayer called the Nisana Tokef. And the Nisana Tokef basically is saying that the, that the High Holidays is the most holy day even angels tremble, and uh, we go before God one by one. We go before God like soldiers, and every single person, all his, all his deeds from the whole year are an open book before God, and the book will read by itself. He did this thing good. He did this thing bad. She did this thing good. She did this thing bad. Every individual, every person, everything is recorded. Everything is there. God is the... Uh, he, he sees it all. He's the witness. He's, the, he's not the prosecutor, but he's, he's the judge, and he will carry out the judgment. That's the gist of the Nisana Tokef. Um, then he's brought back home, and he dies, and he comes back to a student a few days later, and he tells the student to write down this amazing prayer called the Nisana Tokef. Now, what's interesting is the very end of the Nisana Tokef is talking about how we can be successful in our judgment. So it says three things. We need to do three things to be successful in judgment. We have to repent, we have to pray, and we have to give charity. It's a very interesting group of things. There's a thousand things we could pick. Uh, honor your parents. Uh, um, I don't know. Uh, study Torah. Um, don't eat chametz, don't eat bread on Passover, sit in a sukkah on sukkahs. But it, it's a very focused group of things. You got to repent. So whatever you did wrong, repent. You got to pray. In other words, repentance is good, but not good enough. You got to pray. And you have to give charity. So again, the in this most powerful prayer, the concept of charity is brought up again. And that gives me a chance to talk about charity again. 
And as I keep reminding you, because I know you're listening, but again, we have this amazing campaign running, and this campaign is going to ensure that all these children will will get all all the, the the teaching and the teachers and the staff and and all the important stuff that children need in school, and their science labs and their and their math classes and their math books and their remedial and their sports and their arts and their plays and their choirs, all the things that make a well-rounded child that make these children so special and so healthy and so normal. But the only way we can ensure we can give the children what they need is with your help. And that's why I'm reaching out to my amazing audience and saying, please hit that donate button. That donate button will take you to um, the campaign page. And whatever you can give, I'm telling you, will make a difference. Some people think, hey, what's $5, what's $10? Not true. There'll be hundreds, thousands of people giving $5, $10, $25, $36, $50. Some people will give 100 some will give 1000 It all depends on what level you're up to, but everything makes a difference. It's going to be matched, so all of a sudden your $5 becomes $20. It's unbelievable. So, and with the high holidays coming, no better time than to think about charity than right here. And right now, it's just the, the most awesome thing that you could do. Interesting, by the way, um, there was a rabbi, he's not alive anymore, he was explaining in the Nisana Tokef, he was explaining that we're called soldiers. Why, why was the choice of soldiers given? So soldiers are interesting because soldiers don't fight as individuals. Soldiers fight as a unit. Soldiers, in other words, everybody knows, you, you don't have one soldier go shoot another soldier, you, you have everybody working as a team, and when everybody works as a team, so then, then you win the war. So this rabbi Bax explained that when we, when we want to be judged, we want to be judged like soldiers. We want to be judged that, that, that we're, uh, we're part of a team. We're, we're not just by ourselves. Nobody wants to be by themselves and be judged. But if I'm part of a community, if I give charity, it's all part of this, uh, this uh, repentance and and, and prayer and charity. Because when you give charity, you are not an individual anymore. You're automatically becoming part of a group. And when you become part of a group, that gives you an amazing power. It gives you an amazing opportunity to go ahead and, and be successful. And you'll be successful in your judgment. So again, just that reminder to go ahead and um, and hit that donate button and, and join our campaign. I'm telling you, you'll love it. You'll feel so good. Charity is one of these things that, you know, it's not always easy to give away your hard-earned money. Don't get me wrong. It's hard to give away your hard-earned money. But it's the one thing you feel so good about. It's, it's you didn't buy an ice cream. I ate the ice cream. It tasted delicious. And 10 minutes later, who remembers the ice cream cone? And I love chocolate cake. But, you know, uh, 30 seconds after I ate the chocolate cake, it's gone. And I would like another piece, except I can only eat so much. It, charity gives you that good feeling that you are part of something bigger than yourself. And, and it's amazing. It's just amazing. And if I don't spend some time talking about this week's Torah portion, I ain't going to get through nothing. So we've talked, we talked charity a lot today. We've talked about Rosh Hashanah a lot today. Let's spend a few minutes on this week's Torah portion because I don't know how much time we're going to have left. 
So, interesting enough, the beginning of this week's Torah portion discusses the first fruit. First fruit means like this. In the land of Israel, this is a, a command only for the land of Israel. The farmer um, has to, when things are growing, it could be wheat, it could be barley, grapes, olives, uh, pomegranates, dates, figs, any of those fruits. Again, even though it's interesting, even the wheat and the barley is called a fruit. But again, any of those things, um, as they're ripening, the first ones to ripen, you would put a string. Everybody always says a red string. I'm not sure where red string comes from, but we, we all say it. Um, you put like a marker on that fruit. So when it fully ripens, you're going to take it off the tree. You're going to have a whole basket of beautiful first fruit. And we'll talk about it, I hope, more. Um, and you're going to bring it up to the base of Migdash. You're going to bring it up to the temple. You're going to give it to the to the Kohen, to the priest. And you're going to read some verses in the Torah. And you're going to leave with the priest, and you're done. So the, the first question is, like, wh- what's, what's behind this command to go ahead and give your first fruit to the temple? Why, why does God want your first fruit? Like, what's the big deal? And sometimes the first fruit's not even the best fruit. So I, I, I gave my own parable this week. It's a very simple explanation. Yeah, we just finished the summer. Right? School started. Now we're in September already. And many people like to make gardens for their children. It's really a great, a great thing to, to do with your kids. Um, either you plant the seeds or for tomatoes, you buy the vines, you get a fence so the rabbits don't tear it apart and the squirrels don't get in. Okay, so you got to work a little bit. And the kids water it and, they, and you try to teach them to get rid of the weeds. And weeks go by and then all of a sudden the kids see on the vine Maybe little tomatoes, maybe you did cucumbers, maybe you did uh, peas, maybe uh, you did, um, uh, I know I'm thinking avocado, that's a tree. Maybe you did eggplant, uh, squashes, different things that, that are not so hard to have a backyard garden. For I'm sure people have other things they know that they grow. And you're getting excited and more excited. And the kids are watching it and every day they're checking it and they're watering it and they're taking care of it. And, and there, you spend so much time and effort. It's very exciting when, when you tell your child, okay, guys, tonight we are going to eat the first ripe tomatoes. We're going to put in a salad. Now, even if your kid doesn't eat vegetables, but come on, this is my tomato I've been working so hard on. Yeah, there's going to be tomatoes for the next uh, six weeks, but the first tomato... The first cucumber is very, very exciting. And that's what the farmer is doing with what's called bikuri, with the first fruit. He is so excited. He's worked for months and months and months on this farm. Let me, let me, let me enjoy the first fruit. On that, God says, one second. First fruit goes to the temple. You have to make sure that your head is screwed on right. You got to make sure you have the right, correct attitude. And the right, correct attitude is that I have to show my gratitude to God. God, I'm healthy, I'm well, I have a farm, I have things growing. And uh, the best way to show gratitude is to take that one thing that you most desire, that thing that you, you know, in Yiddish we say you're howling for, you, 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 can't, you can't wait to sink your teeth in it. No, that is going to God. That is how I'm going to show amazing gratitude. 
And that is the, the, the concept behind the first fruit. Now, by the way, part of this whole process of the first fruit is we actually go ahead and we try to get each area, when the fruits ripen, to, to gather in the central city and to have parades with thousands and thousands of people all going together up to the Temple Mount. And here comes my music again. And oh, this is a pretty good song. But in any case, the, the goal is to get thousands of people to let the world know how thankful you are to God. But anyways, here's my music. I'm coming up to break. Hold through the break. We got to finish up. We got our word of the week, our letter of the week. I got some great stories to end with. You're listening to Rabbi Tzvi on Let's Talk Torah. Hold through the break, and we're going to be right back. Why are we here? What makes a person truly good? For those answers, you're going to have to take a philosophy class. But if you're more interested in who would win in a fight between R2-D2 and a Dalek, watch Get It to the Geeks. Detroit. It's the home of some of the world's most talented artists. It's where techno and Motown were born. It's a city where you can experience raw, untamed rock and roll. I'm Ben Rose, and I'm inviting you to join me weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians, info on what's going on around town, and a playlist curated by me just for you. Welcome back to Pop That Culture. That's the horror movie. <laughs> Bury the phone in the Bat Cemetery. It's got a cord. <laughs> I'm Ben Rose for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians and a playlist curated by me just for you. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Greg Russell Movie Show. When I have a couple cocktails, everything's funnier. <laughs> I still just love that line. Producer, director, how did this whole thing come about for you? My friend's song. I like this song. Yeah, they're still playing it. I love that. I hope you can hear it clear. But anyways, friends are good. Certainly around the holiday time, we all need friends. But, oh, so many things to talk about. So little time. Let's at least get into our letter of the week. Um, so hopefully right behind me should be the next letter. It is a pay. It's a very interesting shaped letter. And it is up there. So you look at that, you see what it is. Um, actually, if you would look at that letter in a Torah scroll, um, it's, if it's written properly, um, in the white space inside, you actually have another letter. It's called a Bez. But the outside of the letter is sort of like that C with then like a hook coming down, and it's called a Pe. It could also be a Fe, because there's actually two different sounds, depending if there's a dot in the middle or not. Um, the numerical value of the Pe is 80. So you have to do a numerical, that's the letter pay. And um, I don't know, I came up with an interesting word this week that I liked. I have no idea why I thought of this word. But my word this week is pa'amon. A pa'amon is a bell. 
a bell. Maybe the bell in your head that says, hit that donation button and give and be charitable or give to any charity, really. You know, if you give to any charity because I asked you to give to charity, my job is done. But it would be great if you could give to the charity that I'm involved in. That would be just fantastic. But really, really, if you give to any charity, you are a great person. And again, that's the whole, well, not the whole, that's one of the integral parts of the High Holidays to give charity. It's not just the rabbis woke up and said it's a good way to raise money for the synagogue. It's obviously, I told you this in Sanatoka, it's obviously quite, quite ancient. So I'm watching my clock because I have so many things to talk about. Here's one more thing in the Torah portion. We'll, we'll make it quick. Um, when, the, when the Jewish people enter the land of Israel, they have to go to two mountains. One is called Hagrizim, one is called Har-Evil. Um, half the Jewish people will be on one mountain, half will be on the other mountain, and the Levites and the priests and the Ark will be in the middle, and they will, they, everybody will face Hagrizim, and they will give the blessing, that blessing the mountain to the people on that mountain. They're just facing that direction when they give the blessing. Then they're going to turn around, and they're going to say the curse towards the other mountain. Everybody's going to answer, Amen. Now, it is interesting, even though both blessing and curses were said, the Torah only lists, lists the curses. It's interesting. What I find even more interesting is, if you were going to pick a list of things that the God's going to say, God wants you to answer amen to, that if you do this, um, if you don't do this, you'll be blessed. If you do this, you'll be cursed, or vice versa, whatever the action happens to be, happens to be a very interesting list. It doesn't say if you pray, you'll be blessed. It doesn't say if you study Torah, you'll be blessed. It doesn't say, uh, um, it doesn't even say if you give charity, by the way. Even that one, it doesn't say. The list is really fascinating. It's idol worship. Okay, we get idol worship, right? There's God. If you do idol worship, there's no God. But uh, for the most part, the rest of the list is completely um, uh, uh, just to be a good citizen. Honor your parents. Don't change the boundaries, right? Farmers can move the fences. Don't change the boundaries. Don't put a stumbling block in front of a blind person, meaning if somebody's clueless and he asks you for advice, give him honest advice. Um, talks about uh, um, being careful with the convert, the widow, the orphan. They have no one to take care of them. Uh, maybe you're seeing a pattern here, a merge of what these blessings and curses are really all about. Um, a whole bunch about immorality, um, slander, bribery, and then an overall keeping the commands. And, and I, I think the gist behind all these is really very simple. As they're going to the land of Israel, they're no longer in the desert. They're not in the clouds. They're going to be in the world. They're gonna be, there's going to be interpersonal relationships. You're going to be dealing with people. So God says you're going to deal with people. You're going to have to know what makes a good society. Well, it makes, obviously, yeah, there has to be God. Okay, so no idol worship. You got to honor your parents. You got to honor people older than you. You can't be immoral. You got to be honest in business. You, you can't bribe your judges. All these things you got to take care of so that we can have a good society. When there's a good society and people are at peace with one another, even if we're not so good with other stuff, God has patience. God is nice to us. There's a, it's famous, one of the most wicked kings, his name was Achav, but there was no slander in his days. So this king Achav ruled the world because the Jewish people were at the, at the height of their power because 
as as good citizens, we were the best. As soon as we're not such good citizens, it affects everything. So that's, again, another piece to the puzzle of this Torah portion. My time is wrapping down, but I did want to try to leave you with a great message. Um, another parable, but this one's not a parable. It's a story of the great Rabbi Akiva. And, you know, this is really a great story. Schools have started. Kids are in school. It's something to think about when, uh, when, you, when you think about your kids and going to school and what we want from them. So the great Rabbi Akiva, at 40 years old, was at ignoramus. He couldn't study. He couldn't read. He couldn't do anything. So his wife ships him off to school, and he easily gets frustrated. So he's on his way home. And he sees this stone that's being cut by, uh, by water. And water's dripping, 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 dripping. And the hole over decades has gotten bigger and bigger. And he says to himself, if soft water can affect a hard stone, certainly Torah can affect me. And the explanation of that is really important. Um, Rabbi Akiva was saying, it's even the first drop of water is making an effect. Because if the first drop of water is not making an effect, why do you think the second drop is any better? It might be microscopic, but it's got to be making an effect. So Rabbi Akiva said, even if I don't get it so good, even if I don't, I don't understand it so good, and I have to review it and try and work, but you should know there's always an effect being made on you. There is always some type of effect. So when you're studying Torah, maybe it doesn't go so good at first or second or third or fourth or fifth, but there's an effect being made on you, and, and that should be our attitude with our children. They come up from school, they did get it, they didn't get it, they do understand, they don't understand. There's an effect being made on them. Maybe you can't see it, but we have to encourage our children to keep trying, to keep working. They're going to become better. It's going to work. Everything's going to be fantastic. And that really becomes a fantastic lesson for us, for our children. If we get frustrated, we should not quit. We just got to keep on marching forward. And I'm going to keep on marching forward. And certainly this week, I'm going to be marching forward with an amazing campaign that I've only talked about 12 times during the show. And my show is wrapping down. So since it's wrapping up, I can't keep talking. But again, for this week, when you listen, please go to that donation button. Please go to the campaign page. Please help. Any amount helps. And here comes my music. And I got a million dreams. But in any case, thank you to our wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I couldn't do without you. Thank you to my wonderful production team today. A smaller team. We got Kelsey. We got Steve. We got Angel. I hope I've left you some food for thought. And until next week, I'm Rabbi Tzvi. You've been listening to that Torah and NRM Streamcast. Until next week, don't forget to think about it.